One of the great spiritual writers said this, talking to men about God is a good thing. How many of you would agree? Talking to men about God is a good thing, but talking to God about men is a greater thing. I'm going to take you this morning to the book of Genesis. If you're new to reading the Word, it's the first book in the Bible toward the front. So get your Bibles out and open, and we're going to go there. Take me just a minute to get there. But the story goes like this. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were about to have judgment upon them. Lot was living there, but Lot was delivered because he had a praying uncle. Who was his uncle? Abraham, his praying uncle Abraham was praying for him. Genesis 19, verse 29, goes like this. Look at those first two words, my goodness. If you're new here, those two words mean something to us, okay. But God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities of the plain. Now look at this careful, carefully with me, folks. It doesn't say that God remembered Lot. It doesn't say that Lot prayed. It doesn't say that Lot did anything. But what we see is that when Abraham began to pray, God remembered Abraham, and therefore he rescued Lot. So i got to ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you had to pray for someone else who either couldn't pray for themselves, as our friend Jim, who couldn't pray for themselves or wouldn't pray for themselves? Raise your hand if that's true for you. Then, then you're who I'm talking to today. How many of you also in this room right now, that's in the past, but how many of you know today someone who needs a miracle in their life or someone who needs to be set free today? Raise your hand if that's true. If you know someone okay, then that's who I'm talking to this morning, and I want to remind you, I'm reminding you as I've reminded myself how powerful it is when you pray for others. Listen to me carefully. Lot's future depended upon Abraham's prayer life. Lot's future depended upon Abraham's prayer life. If Abraham doesn't pray, we don't know if Lot is going to make it out of Sodom before the destruction of that city, and so let me ask you a more personal question, and really, it's the big question of the morning, and that's this. Are you listening to me? If someone's eternity depended upon your prayer life, what kind of future would they be facing? You don't have to groan. Just listen. <laughs> if someone's eternity, the reality of their life, depended upon your prayer life, you being the one praying for them, what kind of future would they be facing? Well, that's what we're reading about here in this Genesis account. Let me take the same premise and project it onto a New Testament situation very quickly because it's, it's important that we get the correlation here. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is thrown into prison. He's about to be killed just as James was. And, and let me show you what happened. In Acts chapter 12, I'm at verse 5. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed. Say that. The church. I didn't hear you again. And how did they pray? The church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate, 
And suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. And then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me. The angel ordered. I find this incredibly interesting. Because I don't know about you, I just don't think if I'm going to be scheduled to be executed the next day that I'm going to sleep much the night before. How about you? So... The fact that you're probably going to die the next day, at least that's the plan, that that didn't wake you up. The bright light of an angel showing up right by your side did not wake you up. Peter was one tired dude is all I got to say about it. Well, let me just tell you, that wouldn't be me. I would probably be awake all night if that was the situation. And some might want to debate. You know, no matter what might have happened, was Peter going to be delivered? But I frankly, I don't believe the Holy Spirit would have put that phrase in there for us that we just read unless it was an important phrase. I'm talking about the phrase of verse 5. While Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Some might say, well, he would have been delivered anyway. I don't think so. I think it was because of the prayers of God's people that made the difference. And so my question is on this one. If the church doesn't pray, does Peter get out of prison? Or if Abraham doesn't pray for Lot, does Lot get out of Sodom and Gomorrah? Or if Bethesda doesn't pray, does Jim Elkins experience the healing of Jesus that brings him out of a seven-day coma? That's the question today. And I don't know about you, church, I think I know about some of you, but I still believe in the power of prayer. And I believe that when we pray, we are calling upon a God for whom nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible. Do I get any kind of a witness in this house today? Therefore, I absolutely believe to the core of my being that is crucial for the church to be a praying church. Can I get an amen? There's an old Puritan writer named Thomas Watson who said this, talking about that situation with Peter uh, in, in Acts chapter 12 that we just read. He said this, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel out of heaven. So you may have had a miraculous situation that took place for you, that you got rescued or something incredible happened, but just know that it was the prayer of God's people or maybe the prayer of your mama or your grandma or someone who loves you enough to pray for you that got that angel out of heaven to come and take care of you in Jesus' name. The angel got Peter out of prison, but it was a praying church that got that angel to come out of heaven. And that's the miracle of prayer that truly changed things. So clearly, what I want us to see this morning is that prayer and deliverance are connected, which means your prayer life is connected to the people around you, the people in your life who need deliverance. The church prayed for Peter, chains fell off, cell doors open up. Abraham prayed for Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God didn't remember Lot because Lot wasn't praying for himself. But our challenge this morning is to pray for those who either will not pray for themselves or cannot pray for themselves. And I'm going to give you two action steps today to challenge you. And the first one is this. Uh, I did something real fancy. 
I asked a staff member yesterday to go get some little index cards. Now, please don't tell the media department this. Cover your ears. The media department this, because they would like to have made them really pretty and put a logo on it and, and nice stuff. Well, we went to the store and bought some index cards, okay, with nothing on them. And they're in the pew rack in front of you, or they're at the end of the aisle. I want you to get one right now. When you get it, hold it up and wave it at me. Come on, everybody. Everybody, everybody. Balcony, you got them? All right, put them down. If you believe in prayer, then this is my challenge to you. I want you to write on that card the name or names of someone or some people that you know need to be set free. I'm talking about an individual, not necessarily a set of circumstances. I'm talking about a person or persons. Get your pencil out right now. Maybe they're far from God. Maybe they're away from the Lord. Maybe they've never said yes to Jesus ever. Maybe it's a son, a daughter, a grandchild, a spouse. Maybe it's someone that you know who's in the grip of an addiction of some kind. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's whatever. We don't need any of the details for you to write down. I don't care if you just write down their name. I don't care if you just write down their first name. But I'm asking you to do it right now and hang on to that card. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to do it. And then I'll, while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with it. Now, you've already told me you believe in prayer, right? At the end of this service, I've asked some folks to have some big old baskets that we're going to have at the front here. And I think there's going to be a couple in the balcony. And I'm going to ask you at the end of the service, so don't get up until we're done here today. I want you to come and put those in the basket. And as you come to put those in the basket, it is an act of faith. You literally stepping out from where you are, believing that God can provide the miracle. Let me tell you something. Um, here's what I want you to know for sure. Tonight in the prayer service, the praying church of Bethesda who meet at 6 p.m., we're going to earnestly pray tonight. We're going to earnestly pray and call on the name of the Lord for these needs because we believe this, that if the church prays that prison doors can be opened, whatever kind of prison it is. Can I get an amen to that? We're going to believe that if the church prays, people can be rescued from situations just like Lot was. So get those cards ready now, and at the end of the service, we're going to have them brought to the front. I want to tell you something that happened just uh, probably three or four weeks ago at the end of a service. I was standing here where I always am. A dear lady of this fellowship who's been here a long time, precious lady, came up to me with tears in her eyes. I don't get to talk to her very often. Um, and she pulled out of her purse a card. I think it was probably about five or six years ago that we did something similar to this, a little cards at Easter time that we said, put down the names of somebody that you're praying will come to know Jesus. And she had, in response to the message about a month ago, uh, she took that and, and she hid it away in her heart. And she put it away in her purse or her wallet and kept praying and praying and praying. And it's been five or six years. And she walked up to me a month ago and she said, Pastor, you remember these little cards? I said, I sure do. She said, I want you to know, see those names on there? See those two people on there? Those people were with me in church with their hands raised worshiping Jesus today. Don't tell me that God doesn't answer prayer. He does. And so we don't have the nice cards today because I didn't get to it in time. But I want us to take those cards and we're going to believe that God is going to set somebody free simply because we're going to be the one faithful to lift him before the Lord. Who's with me today in the house on this? Genesis chapter 13. Abraham and Lot are walking together. 
And suddenly their ways separate because their enterprise had become so large, their business had become so large, they were going to go their different ways. So here's what happens. Lot chooses a place called Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's where he goes. Abraham simply trusts God and says, Lord, wherever you lead, I will follow. And God is going to lead him to the promised land, the land of Canaan. And there's an interesting thing that I just caught here that happens in verse 14 of this chapter chapter 13 of Genesis, verse 14. And it says this, and I want you to listen carefully and catch this. After Lot had gone, they've now separated. Or after they had separated, God spoke to Abram. He was still Abram at that time. Name had not changed. Let me tell you what that says to me. Sometimes, and somebody needs to hear this today, you can have people in your life whose voice somehow has become more important to you than God's voice. It can happen to most any of us. It can happen in a way that it will creep up on us that we're not even aware of it. But someone else's voice can become more important. Their opinion, their idea, their way of doing stuff becomes more important to you than the voice of the Lord. And there are simply times, church, when it is good for you to separate from certain people so that you can hear what the Lord is saying to you. For whomever that is intended today, receive it in Jesus' name. Once Abraham separated from Lot, the Bible says that's when God spoke to him. And there may be people in your life today that you have to separate from just to be able to hear God's voice and hear what he's wanting to say distinctively to you and not through another person. Well, they went their separate ways. Remember, Lot is gone, has gone to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is on a journey with God. And stay with me now because the story is going to pick up in Genesis chapter 18 is where I'm going. It starts with Abraham at the outside of his tent And one day, three angels, this is so interesting, three angels show up at his doorstep. Three angels, but here's what I'm going to tell you. One of them is Jesus. Really? That's the Old Testament, Pastor Dan. Yeah, it is. I want you to get ready for a big old theological term. It's called, because what we have here is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. A pre-incarnate appearance. You mean Jesus is in the Old Testament? Well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh, and the flesh. So yes, I thought we have record of his birth in the Gospels, but we must remember he has always been. He is alive today, and he will be alive forevermore. That's the Jesus we serve. So let me explain. There are certain moments of the Old Testament where Jesus showed up before he came to Bethlehem, before he was born of a virgin. And so how do we know that this situation that uh, that is shown here in Genesis 18, well, number one, it's because Abraham is calling him Lord. And another term, if you dig through this appropriately right here, you see really he's referring to him as Jehovah. Abraham knew that he was talking with God, and there were two angels and this pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Now, let me, in case you think I've lost my mind, which is always possible, let me show you another place where this happened, just to let you know that this is also possible. This will probably be a little more familiar to you. How many of you remember the three Hebrew lads in the furnace? Raise your hand if you remember that. Shadrach, 
Well, Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he says, I thought I put three guys in there. But he says, but now I see. And the fourth man looks like the Son of God. What is that and how do you explain that theologically? It is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Folks, Jesus always has been, he is today, and forevermore he shall be. So there's Abraham. Here's Abraham talking to two angels and Jesus when suddenly Jesus says to Abram, Abraham, you're 100 years old. Sarah, you're 90 years old. Guess what? Y'all are about to have a baby. Now, can't you just live in that moment for a minute with me? Did I hear that right? Can't you see Sarah going, oh, my goodness. And can't you see Abraham going, I'm the man. I mean, come on. They're ready to be great-grandparents. By the way, I suppose you've heard Becky and I are going to be grandparents, right? Our daughter Sheridan will be, is carrying our first grandchild. We're excited about that. Here's Abraham and Sarah. They might even be great-great-grandparents. I mean, they're on AARP. They're getting all the same senior citizen discounts that Becky and I are getting now everywhere we go. They're living off retirement and Social Security, and they've been told that a baby is about to invade their lives. Well, we know what happens. We know how the story goes. The miracle comes, and the baby's name is Isaac. Well, now, check this out. <clears throat> I'm not sure you might have ever connected these dots. Maybe you have. The three angels are leaving, or two angels and Jesus. They're walking out, and then the Bible says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 16, Abraham is just seeing him to the door. You know, it's nice to have you here. He's walking with them, and they're exiting, when all of a sudden, in the exit, one of them says, stop. Hold on. We have got to tell Abraham what's about to happen. Now, my mind envisage this this way that he's been while they've been delivering this news about the baby coming to Abraham and Sarah he's been thinking you know we've got we got this other thing we've got to tell them too surely we're not going to just skip that stop we've got to tell them what's about to happen though they came to announce the fact that they would be having a baby they determined before they left they couldn't keep any secrets any longer from Abraham and that's when the angel of the Lord says we are about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and we want you to know and so Abraham's walking with God, seeing him off. God spoke to him to tell him what he was about to do. And when, let me just tell you something. There's a little something that you can get from this if you're willing to get it this morning, and that's this. When you walk with God, you not only get the miracles of God, you get the inside of God as well. Because God shares his secrets with those who walk with him. Can I just say it's exciting to walk with God this morning? So they're walking together. God says, I'm about to bring fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. It's so wicked down there, and I, I have got to go ahead and destroy this place. Hmm. wonder what Abraham's first thought was. I would guess that Abraham, his first thinking is, but my nephew Lot is down there. 
Lot's down there. And so here's the question that Abraham's facing. How, how do I get my nephew and his wife and, and, and their daughters, how, how, how do I get them out of there without going down there myself? How do I pull them out without me going because I don't know when the judgment of God is coming? So let, let, let's bring this to the world that you and I live in. How do you get someone out of a prison? How do you get someone out of bondage? How do you get someone out of the desperate situation they're living in when they aren't even praying for themselves? How do you do it? And then the key verse that we looked at, Genesis 19, 29, but God had listened to Abraham's request. There's his prayer life. And he kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. Now, we know it didn't go quite so well for Lot's wife. That's another sermon another time. I think we have to take just a moment to get a good look at just how deeply entrenched Lot was in the whole scenario of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is going to get a little uncomfortable. Remember with me that in Genesis 13, when we looked at it earlier, Lot chooses Sodom. That was his choice. And when we get to Genesis 19, and I'm going to tell you to go ahead and go to 19 if you're not already there, we learn that between chapter 13, when he chooses Sodom, and chapter 19, there is a span of time that we can identify as 18 years, 18 years that Lot has been there in Sodom. So what is he doing there? Well, chapter 19, verse 1 tells us this. First of all, He's sitting at the gate, the entrance of the city, with the people of his community, for the gate was a public gathering place, and that's how it's referred to. But what does that mean, he's sitting at the gate? We often read that idea in Scripture. What, is that, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it's not. It's not a location. That is not what the Bible is referring to. Any study of this, uh, uh, Genesis 19.1 will show you this. It's not a location that the Bible is trying to show us. Rather, it is a position that is being inferred. What the Bible is saying here is that someone sitting at the gate, it means that they are in a very high position in that city. Any reference would tell you it probably means anything from being mayor to on the city council. They are some sort of, uh, of dignitary within that city because all the major decisions were done at the gate of the city. That's what it's referred to. So what we see is that Lot in his going 18 years ago to Sodom, he just didn't go there to live privately. No, he's now in leadership of the city. That ratchets this up considerably. He was right in the thick of the whole thing. And it appears that conviction that he would have had to have known at one time has worn off, and now his friends are the people of Sodom. That's his, that's his, 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 his people. And he's become very comfortable in the culture, very comfortable in the environment, very comfortable with all that the city of Sodom has to offer. Now, I have talked about this before, but it's a perfect place to bring it up again just in case you missed it the first time. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down two words, fellowship and ministry. Most of us in this room today 
are not in church every day of the week. We're working jobs, you're on university campus, you're in, in high school, you're in junior high school, you're at the office, you're in whatever, wherever your work takes you. And inasmuch, you and I come regularly in contact with every kind of belief system and worldview. In my neighborhood alone, we've got a lot of Christians, but we've got some other stuff going on too. Not everybody you come in contact with is a Christian, and that is true for me as well. Now stay with me. As a Christian, I have fellowship with other Christians. But I minister to non-Christians. And I'm here to remind us all that the confusion of these two words is what messes a lot of people up. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that light is not to fellowship, koinonia, with darkness, which means that my fellowship, my best friends, the people I listen to, the people who have valid input into my life are believers who love Jesus and they have clearly made Jesus the Lord of their life. Now, when I'm with non-Christians and hanging out with them, it is not as fellowship, it is as ministry. And when you confuse ministry and fellowship, here's here's what happens. You get infected and contaminated by the lifestyle of the people with whom you're hanging out. Now, I'm going to stay with me here. Have I made you mad yet? John 17, verse 16, Jesus says this. He talks about being in the world, but not, not of the world. And the best way I have ever seen to describe it is this. The ship is in the water, but the water had better not be in the ship. Because we know what happens if the water gets in the ship. Because the disaster awaits. Let me say it another way. If you have confused ministry and fellowship and your best friend is not a believer, let me just tell you straight, you need to get a new best friend. Now, did I say you shouldn't hang out with non-Christians? No, I didn't say that at all. I'm just saying that if you're hanging out with non-Christians, and some people will say, well, they're just so much nicer to me than Christians are, and I just like them so much. Well, of course. But if you, are, if you are hanging out with non-Christians, it ought to be your goal to be sure they get an earful of Jesus before you go your separate ways. That's why you are there with them. But my dreams, my hopes, my hurts will be shared by those with whom I have fellowship. And I can be confident they will encourage me with a biblical viewpoint on my life. Hallelujah. It's good preaching, Pastor Dan. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Somebody's got, I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord today. Because what you and I need as believers to walk this life with Christ is we need wisdom from God. That's what you need. You don't need some secular mindset, uh, a, a non-believer who knows nothing about the Lordship of Jesus, knows nothing about walking with Christ, telling you how you're supposed to live. It doesn't work like that. That comes from those with whom you have fellowship. People will point you to Jesus. The problem with Lot is that he's sitting in the gate, sitting at the gate, and the people to whom he should be ministering, he has become like them. And the second thing that caught my attention is this. Here we see in Genesis 19, we get a little more insight into Lot. Raised in godly family, 
had was successful with his business. He and his uncle part ways. He goes to Sodom. Been there now 18 years. And inasmuch, Lot is not adverse. If you look with me in 19, just a second. Lot is not adverse to spiritual things. Why do I say that? Because angels show up at the city gate. And let's look at his response. He doesn't run away. He doesn't curse them. He, uh, he doesn't turn them away. He, he, he welcomed them. In fact, he invites them to his house. And here's what really scares me about this kind of guy. We begin to see the depth of deception going on in him. What scares me about this kind of person is that they have just enough church to keep conviction away from them. Just enough of a religious understanding that they feel comfortable enough with that. They can talk to, you know, somebody who's a believer. They can talk to them. Just enough, but it keeps, somehow they have allowed conviction to be far from them. And typically you'll find them to be cynical, sarcastic, condescending, and proud of it. These kind of folks will let you know that they know plenty about angels. Yeah, sure, I know angels. They know lots about Jesus. They know about the resurrection. And this is what scares me about the lot types. They'll come to church for Sunday, but they will walk out of these doors and go right straight back to Sodom for the, rest, for the next six days. Those kind of people can show up to church. They know how to clap their hands. Get it on. Yep. They can laugh at something funny. They'll hug you, but they'll walk straight out of here and walk right straight back to Sodom for the next six days. Lot didn't get angry with the angels. Listen to me carefully this morning, church. He didn't resist them in any way. Let me just say it really plain. People today do not need Hear me, just another church service. What people today need is a dynamic, life-changing, transformational encounter with the living Lord Jesus. That's what they need. And here is a man who has just enough understanding of spiritual things to think, well, yeah, he can, I can check that off. Yeah, I'm spiritual. St- yeah, I got that. I got that. But just enough to keep conviction far away from him. And then it gets crazier. Not only has he totally forgotten the difference between ministry and fellowship, and he's sitting at the gate for 18 years. Now he's welcoming spiritual things, though he's not about to leave Sodom. Not about. Hey, good to have the angel brothers with us here today. Good to have you boys here. I'm not leaving Sodom. And while he's hosting the angels, a knock comes on the door. And who's at the door? The Sodomite men, young and old. And they are calling out to Lot to let the angels come out so that the Sodomite men can have their way with them physically. Trying to be careful with my words here. And that's almost the depth of deception. We're almost to the bottom here, but not quite. The Sodomite men say, send those angels out so that we can... Do what we want to do with them. And now we go from crazy to the insanity of sin and the absolute depth of debauchery. 
And let me say this, when you are living in sin and you have gotten far from conviction and you are no longer interested in walking with God, you cannot even make a wise choice. And Lot goes, oh no, absolutely not. You're not going to do that with these angels. No, 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 no. You're not, you're not going to do that. But I do have two virgin daughters that you can take. Now I have to ask, what dad would actually say that? What dad would actually do that? Don't you just want to hit him? Reminds me the situation we saw on TV, what, two or three weeks ago? A couple weeks back when the dad was in the courtroom with his gymnast daughter, gymnast daughter, who was one of the many who had been dealt with inappropriately by the gymnastics doctor. Raise your hand if you saw what, know what I'm talking about. And the rage inside this dad as that gymnastics doctor was on trial and being revealed, the vast number of young ladies he had been so inappropriate with. And this dad, big old burly guy, he approached the judge as, can I just have five minutes with him? The judge said, no. Can I just have two minutes with him? The judge said, no. And you saw what happened next. He disregarded all of it. And the rage inside him, he lunged toward that man. They had to restrain him. And what's interesting is not one person blamed the dad. The lot goes from confusing fellowship and ministry. He doesn't want to leave Sodom, though he's not adverse to spiritual things. But it erodes into make to insane decision-making. And that is exactly what sin does. But there's one more thing we see here. And it's this in Lot. He has no sense of impending danger. He completely loses any sense of the danger that he's in. Genesis 19.15 says, At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you're going to be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angels then seized his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city. For the Lord was merciful. Do you know why the Lord was merciful? Because he had a praying uncle who covered him in prayer. That's why the Lord was merciful. I don't know about you. I think if I had two guys with fluttering wings on their back giving me a message, I think I'd listen. What about you? Would you think you'd listen? Verse 17, when they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you'll be swept away. And I can't believe his response. Oh, no, my Lord, Lot begged. Don't you want to say, have you lost your mind? Fire and brimstone is coming. Angels are helping you and your family escape and you're hesitating? They have to grab you by the hand. Dude, you're arguing with angels. This is how deep the deception is. 
think how low he has gone. He's sitting at the gate, either as a mayor or leader in the, in the city of some kind. The worst city in human history, and he's there for 18 years. He likes angels. He talks to angels, but he's not leaving Sodom. I'll, I'll come to church, but I want to live the rest of the week the way I want. The insanity of sin. No, you cannot be inappropriate with the angels, but you can have my daughters. No sense of where this path is leading you. It's about to rain fire and brimstone, and you're hesitating so they have to grab you by the hand. I have a suspicion here this morning that there are plenty of people in this room who know someone who sounds just exactly like Lot. That is exactly the path. That's someone that you know, and I hope that's the name you put on your card. You know, it makes me think of this whole impending danger thing. makes me think about an article I read. I'm sure I saw it in the news. You, I'm sure you did, too. It's been several years ago. American Airlines Flight 965, it crashed directly into a mountain, killing 151 passengers and the eight-man crew. It was about to land in Columbia, and only... A few miles from the airport, it runs smack into the side of a mountain, Columbia, South America. There's a plane full of Colombians returning from the U.S. for the Christmas holidays. But it was during the storm, and the fog was so dense and so heavy uh, that the weather completely hid the mountain. And so the planes have, I've learned, the commercial planes anyway, have this thing called the Ground Proximity Warning System. GPWS, Ground Proximity Warning System. Now, I've walked into a commercial airplane when the captain and co-pilot were doing their checklist and running down their stuff, and I've heard that thing, and what it says, there's a voice that says, pull up, pull up, terrain, terrain. That's not what I want to hear when I'm walking into a plane. I'd rather be hearing some lovely music or something, but I'm also thankful that that thing is working. I'm very thankful. And that's the GPWS telling you that you are too close and you need to, need to do something about it. Well, these guys, they looked at their altitude, but they couldn't see, so they were having to fly by their instruments with no idea that the plane was heading straight into a mountain. And here's what's interesting. When they found the black box and all 159 bodies, they discovered that the GPWS had clearly said to them, pull up, pull up, pull up, terrain, Terrain, terrain. And then this response was on the flight recorder given by the pilot. After the warning was given, the pilot is heard to say, Shut up, gringo. And in only a few seconds, in fact, the documentation says in 12 seconds, that plane crashed right into the side of a mountain, killing everyone on board. That is Lot. That is the same thing happening with Lot. Listen to me, dear friend. I don't know exactly who all is in this house today, but I know what the Holy Spirit has whispered in my heart. This may be your moment. I may be your GPWS. I may be your gringo today telling you to pull up. But I know this, that I believe with all of my heart, anybody who is bound in sin, anyone who is ignoring all the warning signals, God loves you enough to bring you to 4700 North Beach on this first Sunday of March 2018 to hear a little pitiful preacher try to tell you, you need to get your heart right with God today. 
He loves you enough to, to order your steps in a certain way to where you would, whether somebody dragged you here or whatever way, if you walked in here by accident, I don't believe you're here by accident. There may be someone here today who says, you have described me completely. And if that's you, we're going to give you an opportunity to come to know Jesus. I'm the one sitting, standing here telling you, pull up, pull up, pull up. Let me just very quickly address Abraham. How do you help a man like Lot? How do you help the person you've, whose name or people whose name you've written on your card? How do you do that? Someone who's gone so far into deception. Well, here's a principle that I've worked on all my life. If I'm honest with you, I'm still working on it. And I think most of us are working on it. And that is this. Dear one, someone needs to look us all straight in the face and tell us this. You can't change anybody. Mama, you can't change anybody. Daddy, you can't change anybody. Husband, you can't change your wife. Wife, you can't change your husband. You might modify a little bit of behavior for some period of time, but you cannot change. Only the Holy Spirit of God can bring real, genuine change in the life of a person. Dr. Charles Stanley from Atlanta, a man many of us respect, has a wonderful statement when he talks about how to find an answer between the problem with the person and the solution. Dr. Stanley says this, the shortest distance between a problem and, and a solution is the distance from your knees to the floor. That's the shortest distance. Pastor Brent, come and help me here. So Lot is the guy on the prayer card. Abraham has written Lot's name on the card. He's turned it in. And the church is going to be praying for Lot. God, get them out, get them out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Get them out before judgment comes. Get them out before it's too late. And I want to remind all of you today, remember that an angel fetched Peter out of jail, but it was prayer that fetched the angel out of heaven. And here's what we know about Abraham. The story is over. The credits are about to roll. And Genesis 19, 27 says this. Abraham got up early that morning and hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and he watched as columns of smoke rose from the cities like smoke from a furnace. But God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. Lot was not praying for himself, but Abraham certainly was. And I ask you one more time, if someone's eternity depended upon your prayer life, what kind of future would they be facing? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Holy Spirit, help us today. Help us today. It's an old phrase we've used for a long time. But there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And I'm going to put out the appeal this morning. There may be one, there may be more than one, I don't know. But is there anybody in the house today who says, Pastor Dan, as you have described Lot, you have described me. I have become comfortable with the ways of the world. I've allowed it to infect me, affect me, 
My sin has led me down paths I never believed I would have gone and I never should have gone. People have tried to warn me, but I have ignored them. But today, I recognize I've got to get this right. I cannot live with this any longer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if I have just described you, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand high so I can see it. In the balcony. All right. I don't often do this, but I'm doing it today. Can I just tell you I have a sense of urgency within my soul? that what we are doing today is extremely critical. If you just raise your hand, I want you to stand and meet me down at this altar. 